why we always advocate people to listen to the to the earnings calls of any business that they're invested in is just that you get that tone of tone of voice of the management and you start to gain more familiarity than you would just from reading the numbers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Investing City podcast, where the goal is to get better at investing, business and life. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It really means a lot. Without further ado, enjoy this episode. The following is presented for informational purposes only and is not investment advice. This information must not be relied upon in making any investment decision. Investing City cannot be held responsible for any type of loss incurred by applying any of the information presented. Furthermore, securities discussed in this podcast may be held by Investing City and members thereof. Thank you. Okay, in today's episode of the Investing City podcast, super excited to have Brian Dress on for the second time. So thanks for being here, Brian. Brian, it's great to be back and uh, happy to be talking with your audience once again. Awesome. So I can't remember the exact date I had you on the first time, but we talked about companies like Roku and Teladoc and Zoom, and those have, have obviously been really big winners. And so I'm excited to have you on for a second time. And just before recording, we're kind of talking about how this year has started. So it started out really hot and then kind of mid-February growth really um, cooled off and now we're rebounding a little bit, but I'd like you to just kind of, um, I'd like to just kind of hear your thoughts about how this year has gone so far. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, it's great to come back and talk to you um, after we made those calls. Makes us look pretty good, uh, to be honest. Um, Yeah. Uh, it's been an interesting year so far, you know, in 2020, of course, we all know what's gone on in 2020, but from a growth investing perspective, um, it was pretty much, you know, bottom left of the chart to top right. So pretty easy as a growth investor to stay invested and and feel good about what you were doing. Um, in February this year, um, there was kind of a, you know, kind of a topping out of growth stocks and a rotation. And, you know, I I like to say a lot of the times, you know, people are looking for a reason to sell. And that was kind of what happened early in the year this year, as we saw a big rotation from growth stocks to uh, the quote unquote value stocks. And there's been a lot of, you know, concern, consternation about interest rates and inflation. And, um, you know, we obviously did our due diligence and we, you know, first of all, looked at our positions and decided, do we feel comfortable with them? And we said we did. We also had to look at some of these other sectors, you know, oil, metals, mining and that sort of thing. And, you know, we have the securities evaluation application in-house and it's called Jarvis. And all, all the first uh, for the first half of the year, it really was signaling to us that there were a lot of these inflationary indicators that were popping off, whether it be oil or metals. Uh, agriculture and what have you. Um, but the question for us was, are these secular trends or um, is it sort of the flavor of the month? And for us, the flavor of the month is just that. And you know, what we really want to do is stick to our principles and stick with companies that have secular trends uh, as a tailwind. And um, you know, as we sit here today in, in sort of late July of 2021, uh, we feel pretty good about the fact that we stood uh, on our principles and stayed with those growth stocks, um, because as we as we speak today, um, now we're looking at interest rates, ten year, uh, the ten year Treasury um, starting to make new lows and yield again, 
Um, so that inflationary nar narrative that was sort of overtaking everything for a few months um, now has sort of gone back to the wayside. Uh, and now people are back looking at growth stocks again, back in favor. favor. So it's been interesting. Um, it's been educational. I mean, really what we've, what we've learned is what we always knew, which is stick to your principles and stick with companies that you know uh, have that fundamental uh, underpinning. Totally. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. It, it really has seemed like the market has become very binary, like things just are lumped in. Uh, and you can kind of see that, like, you know, growth, just fast growing companies will all sell off, even though the company dynamics are all very individual. Um, so just kind of going off of that, if you were to give some advice to uh, an investor who, you know, has gone, is going through a big gut check, like what are some things that they can do to, to really get peace and, and conviction in, in their companies? Well, the first thing I would say is it really experience helps, you know, uh, I, I can remember being new in the markets and, you know, companies that you really like, you end up selling because the stock goes down. And at the end of the day, it's just really a terrible way to do it. You know, I think we all know buy low, sell high. It's a very simple uh, concept, but, you know, in practice, the emotions get involved and, and it's really difficult. So, what I tell a lot of people is it's the same thing about getting invested in the first place. It's hard to do that the first time, but when you, when you go in and you invest or you try to hold on to an investment that you know is good, um, when you get that feedback, you know, 12 or 24 months later and, and what you did worked out then you start to realize, okay, well, my strategy makes sense. Um, and it just gets that much easier as, over time. And uh, so experience really helps, you know, speaking with people that have had that experience really helps, uh, you know, working with an advisor that can help you, you know, through those tough times. You know, that's what we do here is as advisors, is we help people uh, hold on to the investments that we know are good um, because we know emotions uh, and, and current events uh, come into play all the time. Um, it's really hard to maintain that perspective uh, when you have, you know, financial media all over the place, narratives here and there, um, we understand it's difficult. Um, so we try to help people uh, stick to the convictions of, you know, find the best businesses and just stay with them. Over time, you will find um, that's really the only way to invest. Yeah, it, it's interesting when you see some of these companies that have really high valuations start to pull back like 20, 30%. Then you see a lot of the bears come out and say, oh, you know, it could drop another 70% based on different multiples. And um, how do you think about valuation when you see pullbacks? Um, like what, what is kind of left brain's process of, of kind of checking your companies? Or is that something that you're not really worried about in the short term? Yeah, in the short term, not really. Um, I think, you know, we always talk about, you know, if you want to buy a Louis Vuitton bag, that rarely goes on sale. You know, the best merchandise is rarely on sale and you're going to have to pay a high price for it. It's really similar in stocks, especially growth stocks. And you can look back over the last 30 or 40 years, which is kind of like the technical revolution. It's really, you never find really high quality stocks at low valuations. And so, yeah, I understand it's hard to get in in the first place. And that's, that's one reason. Now, however, 
what's great about growth stocks is, and I can't tell you an exact time frame on this, but it seems like every year or two, there's a sell-off in growth stocks. And so, you know, if I'm a person that's not invested in growth stocks and I'm looking for a way in, uh, it really seems like opportunities come around uh, more often than you would expect. And so um, what we try to tell people is, you know, take advantage of those sell-offs. Um, you know, it feels bad if you're invested, but, you know, if you have money on the sideline, it's actually a great opportunity. Um, you know, so the part of the thing that we do at our firm with, with advisory clients is trying to educate them. You know, in the first time they work with us and they see a downturn in the market, um, they'll call up maybe panicked or feeling, uh, feeling some kind of way about it. But, you know, the third and fourth downturn that they experience with us, they start to call us and say, is this another opportunity to put some more money to work? And that's what we try to do, you know, to try to educate clients to understand that, um, especially with growth stocks, we're looking for opportunities for pullbacks to actually get, get involved. And I think sort of perversely is that those high valuations do help you because that's why these, these sell-offs do happen to be so, so deep sometimes. Um, you know, if you had a company that was trading at a much lower valuation than some of these high flyers, you wouldn't have those kind of pullbacks. But if you're willing to stomach that and you have that, that conviction that the, you know, the business case hasn't changed at all. And in, a lot, in the case of a lot of companies we follow, nothing changed in the business in 2021. It's been a completely, uh, you know, in steady state of growth or accelerating growth. Nothing's changed fundamentally. Um, just the price has changed. You know, if you can tune out that noise, it's really an opportunity. Hmm. Yeah. So speaking of uh, two really high quality companies, um, I know we want to talk about CrowdStrike and NVIDIA. So you want to break down CrowdStrike for us first? Sure. Um, so I guess the first thing I would do is, I don't know if we talked about this the last time I was on, but, you know, we have like a pretty simple process. We're looking for four or five criteria, pretty much in any company that we follow. The first is accelerating revenue growth. Um, that's the number one. You know, when you see sales growth continuing to go higher and higher, it tells you something's really happening at a business. Um, kind of along those same lines, expanding margins. We love to see expanding margins in a business, making more money, becoming more profitable over time. You know, we're looking for companies that are led by founder CEOs uh, or really high quality management. And a lot of that is skin in the game. A lot of that is alignment of interest with the management. Uh, we're looking for companies that are category defining companies or changing the game, you know, displacing a legacy operator. And then finally, expanding total addressable market or benign competition. Um, so those are the type of things that we look for. And CrowdStrike really checks all of those boxes. Um, so we do CEO profiles in-house sometimes, and we really want to know on a deep dive what, what the management of a company is like. We did that for George Kurtz, um, CEO of CrowdStrike, and you know, really impressive person. He was one of these kind of hacker young kids. Uh, so he was in the programming game when he was eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. Um, he went off to be a, an accountancy student and then um, found his way back to cybersecurity quite quickly um, when he got into the business world. So you know, he's got that deep foundation. Um, Cyber, so we talk about total addressable markets expanding. Cybersecurity is one of the most expanding total addressable markets you'll find anywhere uh, in the markets. And the reason for that is 
cybersecurity is not a discretionary expense by any means. And if anybody who watches the news knows um, with the SolarWinds breach and so many other of these ransomware attacks, uh, cybersecurity is at the forefront of every CEO and every C-suite in corporate America thinking about how do we deal with this? And so that means spend, and that goes right to CrowdStrike's top and bottom line. Um, this company is not still accelerating growth, but it would be hard to accelerate growth from where it's at, um, which is now 70% revenue growth. Um, the company's generating about a billion in revenue per year. So it's pretty amazing that it could grow at this level um, at that high, uh, that high basis. And the company is sort of showing a trajectory toward profitability and especially in the free cash flow line. Um, so that's really amazing. And then finally, uh, you know, uh, a category defining product. That is an evidence here. Um, you know, a lot of the other cybersecurity products are built on top of an old on-premise architecture. CrowdStrike was founded in 2011, so they started in the cloud. And so they have a huge advantage over everyone else. And um, yeah, just as you look into how their product works with the way they use AI and machine learning, uh, it's really best of breed. And so it's like all those, all these boxes are a check for us um, with our process. Uh, CrowdStrike fil fulfills all those, um, all those criteria. Awesome. So have you uh, looked at Sentinel One, the the recent IPO yet? I have not. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it's interesting, the, the valuation. So that I would consider it like a number two compared to CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike is still like eight times bigger um, in terms of revenue. Uh, Sentinel One is losing a ton of money. I think their operating margins are like worse than negative 100%. Uh, okay. So they, they are definitely losing a lot of money to try to catch up with CrowdStrike. But yeah, it's something that um, been looking at recently because Full disclosure, I, I do own CrowdStrike and have for a while. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to dig in a little more about the the CEO profiles that you mentioned. Sure. Um, kind of what's your process for going through those? Just reading every interview you can. Um, yeah, just just give us a few uh, tips on how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, of course, as we analyze any business, we kind of go through all the uh, you know the income statement, balance sheet, and all the sort of traditional metrics. Um, but what we found is this, you know, CEO profile process has really led us um, to some of the best companies. And um, I've written probably 25 of these. And I would say the five best or five highest scored CEOs uh, correspond with some of the uh, most amazingly, uh, most amazing performance in any business uh, in the markets. And, um, and it's not a coincidence. You know, the best management that you can get um, is really going to make the best company you can find. And um, yeah, so you're right. So we look in, we, we read everything about um, the history of these people uh, from childhood all the way through education and sort of um, early in their, in their business careers and every interview that you can. Um, listening, just listening to the, to the people's voice and the tone of voice um, can really help. Uh, you understand that person. Uh, understand their vision. Um, it's kind of similar to why we always advocate people to listen to the to the earnings calls of any business that they're invested in. Is just that you get that tone of tone of voice of the management, and you start to gain more familiarity than you would just from reading the numbers. Um, yeah, and as again, as I said, uh, some of the best businesses we found were we were led to those by 
first doing the CEO profile, being so impressed with the management, especially those who are founders, you know, it's in their DNA, uh, the company's DNA, their DNA, it's the same. Um, so you can get a pretty, uh, pretty good visibility into um, the viability of a business and what makes a business special just by learning, um, you know, the background of that CEO. Yeah, I love that. I, uh, I think it's important too. you mentioned that familiarity, um, especially kind of going off what we talked about at the beginning, these big sell offs sometimes when you can actually put like a voice and a person to the business. And if you get to know sort of the, the high level employees and, and really know them, then it's like, okay, I know these people are still working and still moving this company forward and kind of gives you um, just a, just a little bit more conviction. So you mentioned those top five CEOs. Are there any ones that you'd like to bring up? Cause I'm, I'm really curious about that. Well, we'll talk about one in the next company as well. Um, but another one I can think of is Mark Benioff at, at Salesforce. Um, that really stood out for us. Uh, the co-CEOs over at Atlassian, that's ticker team. Um, those are a couple others that really stood out for us. Um, yeah, really, if you go through um, a lot of these really high-flying tech uh, internet 2.0 type businesses, a lot of them have just some of the most uh, impressive management teams that uh, that you could imagine. Uh, Cloudflare, there's another one, uh, NET. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt Prince. Um, yeah. So not to put you in the spot or anything, but I don't really know a lot of Mark Benioff's background. Is there anything, um, like where did he even come from? So he's another one of these uh, hacker kids. Um, he worked, this is amazing. He worked for Steve Jobs at Apple, um, I think in the early 80s, and then went to college, USC, uh, did that whole thing, and then went to work for Oracle. So he, his two mentors are, uh, are Steve Jobs and Larry Ellison at Oracle. Um, so it's just like, it's amazing. You start to do the reading and mm-hmm. it's like, wow, the background, uh, it's incredible. And to have the... Um, the access to those, those luminaries, um, you know, in the formative years, I think is really what drove uh, Benioff. And it was a special person, no matter what, but um, it's just amazing to, to see, you know, those type of connections come out as you do the research. Yeah. I love finding something like that. Um, That's super interesting. Like I remember looking into Eric Yuan from Zoom and sure. he, uh, from Cisco. he basically, yeah, he left Cisco, thought the, the product couldn't, uh, wasn't as good as it should be. And then when he left, there was basically like an exodus from the engineering team at Cisco. I think like 40 people followed him, which is like, wow, just imagine 40 people completely changing their lives to follow this guy and, and start a company. Like there's something special there. Um, so you mentioned NVIDIA and, and Jensen. I would love to talk about uh, NVIDIA real quick. Sure, of course. Um, you want to talk about Jensen or do you want to talk about the company first? Um, you can feel free. Let's talk about the company and then you can go. Okay. Into- so this company, I think this company was misunderstood for a long time, um, especially when crypto uh, had the big explosion in you know, 2017, 2018. You know, NVIDIA, they started with gaming, uh, gaming chips, gaming cards. Um, the cryptocurrency miners started to use these cards because they were clearly top of the line. Um, and what happened was crypto um, collapsed at that time, late 2018, I believe it was. Um, and or maybe it was late 2017. In any case, um, 
you know, the market thought, okay, there were all these cards that were sold for cryptocurrency mining. If crypto falls apart, then what does NVIDIA have, uh, you know, really as a business? And, you know, that's, uh, they really misunderstood what was going on in NVIDIA because NVIDIA has so many different business lines. Um, you know, they're one of the leaders in AI and machine learning, uh, powering that with their, with their chips and cards. Again, some of the most top of the line, um, you know, computer hardware that you can find. Um, but not only that, but data center. Data center is really the driver of this business. Um, the big, you know, the, the fastest growing, um, the real war horse uh, of this business is data center. You look around cloud, everybody talks cloud. We know, we know about cloud. We're invested in a lot of companies that are involved with cloud. Well, you know, what is AWS, uh, you know, Amazon work, um, Amazon, uh, their, their cloud business. What does Google Cloud use? What does Microsoft Azure use? Uh, they all use, um, you know, NVIDIA data center cards uh, and NVIDIA da data center servers. And so this company is right at the forefront uh, of pretty much everything uh, in the cloud business. And also, you know, moving out into like autonomous driving. Um, so they've got optionality as well into the future. Um, so as a vision, a vision driven company um, by the CEO that we'll talk about in a minute here. Um, but we also like a lot of the acquisitions they've made, you know, the Mellanox acquisition we thought was a strong acquisition for them. Uh, we love this arm deal that they made, um, you know, a company that's involved in pretty much every cell phone uh, in the world. Um, and I know there's a lot of controversy about whether that deal will go through, but we really like the opportunity there if it does go through uh, NVIDIA wasn't really that involved with cell phones before, before the arm deal. Um, so we really like that, you know, Jensen Wong, the CEO is always pushing forward. And then this company is almost $500 billion company growing revenue at 64% year over year last quarter. Um, it's just hard to believe it really is. Um, so, you know, and again, we'll get into this, but uh, one of the best CEOs we've ever studied is Jensen Wong. Yeah, it is pretty wild, just the scale. I, I think they're doing like over $25 billion in, in revenue growing at 60% with, you know, 30% free cash flow margins, like just unbelievable dominance. Um, so I, I would love for you to talk about Jensen and, and kind of his background. And uh, I would love to learn more about that. Sure. Um, so again, we try to watch almost every interview we can from, from people like this, like Jensen Wong. Um, and I would, I would encourage folks to go out and watch uh, a, a talk he gave at his alma mater, Oregon State. Um, and he was talking about the early days of NVIDIA. And I can't really do it justice here, but this, the long and short of it was he was talking about how the company was uh, down to la like six months worth of cash on hand. And they had about a 24 month lead time um, to create the product, you know, their first product. And he found a way to make it work. He found a way to survive um, and make the company thrive from that point. Um, and it just, that really drew me in. I was like, wow, what a survivor. Um, this guy's a problem solver, you know, something that probably anybody else would have said, forget it. I'll just move on to the next, to the next opportunity. He didn't. And he stuck in it and, and made it work. And, you know, if you go back through the history of NVIDIA, 
Um, there have been three, four, five um, iterations of NVIDIA. And every time NVIDIA did something different, the market sold the stock off, didn't believe in the company. Uh, but every time Jensen uh, proved them wrong. And, you know, that's the type of, of characteristic you really want to see in a manager of a business that you're invested in is that is one that's not going to give up. It's one that's going to do everything you can to solve the problems of the business. And then it's pretty easy to have confidence in the company as long as he's at the helm. Um, and then the proof's in the pudding. I mean, yeah, 20 years, the 20 years before all this data center stuff, they did pretty well. Um, but geez, the last five years pretty been pretty amazing. For sure. So you mentioned one of your criteria is in expanding TAM. And it seems like NVIDIA's TAM is like, it's really hard to even put a number on it. So how do you guys think about, do you actually size TAMs or is it like with that this much tailwind, it's sort of, oh, it doesn't really matter because things are going to grow so much. Like, how do you think about sizing markets? Yeah, it's tough in a, case of a company like NVIDIA, because they've got all these different business lines. Um, we do rely on the companies um, to sort of give us the answer sometimes. You know, you look through the uh, investor presentation and some companies are better than others, but you really get an opportunity um, to understand how the, the company itself looks at the opportunity. And then, you know, the way, the way that we really do it and check it is look at other at competitors and, you know, do they have a similar view of it? Um, but yeah, for NVIDIA, um, it's clear the TAM's expanding. It's clear that they're going into new um, lines of business at all, at all the time. And so, um, yeah, it's not necessarily where we feel like we got to put an absolute figure on it, um, but we're looking more like at the trajectory. And so, you know, it's clear there's a trajectory here. Um, and then you can check it as well with the numbers and the revenue line. Uh, so if I, in Q1, I see a, a TAM of 500 billion, uh, Q2, I, I think 550 or what have you. And then I check it against the revenue numbers as they come out uh, over time. And you start to get a little bit more comfortable with, um, with how the company sees it on their own. Um, so it's a guess and check at times. We do like to go from, uh, especially with a company that we trust and the management that we trust, so we start, the starting point is at the investor presentation and the 10K and all that. Um, so yeah, it's not important to be completely precise uh, on a lot of these things. I think growth investing is really driven by trajectories more than anything else. Mm. Yeah, I, I think um, I'm mad kind of thinking about the optionality and the future of what this company could be is, is a really hard exercise, but I think it's super valuable of like, what's the end state that this company could be and how big could that actually be? Um, which I think is, is really hard to kind of think through all the, all the possibilities. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think so in growth investing, so I came from a trading background. So a lot of times you were looking, you know, maybe I took a position then you sell it at a price, so you support on the chart or whatever. Um, but looking back on it, it's really a failure of imagination. You know, a lot of times you buy a stock at 50 and try to take it to 100. But, you know, a lot of these growth stocks, you buy it at 50 and it goes to 500. Um, and a lot of it's because they're open-ended growth stocks. And, the you know, put that growth together with compounding. Um, it's pretty incredible what it, can, what it can do sometimes. And so that's exactly why we don't want to put 
you know, ceilings on things or upper bounds or, you know, when, a, when you have a company like in, NVIDIA, okay, well, they ran into, uh, okay, maybe this is the most they can do in data center or the most they can do in gaming. Well, then the next step was, well, how do we grow into something else, AI or, or into cell phones? Um, so you have to realize that, you know, some of these great managers have an imagination and innovation spirit um, that can take it beyond what you might think, you know, just sitting down and running the numbers. Definitely. And I think uh, sometimes it's kind of easy to forget, like these founders, just think about how long they've actually been thinking and dreaming about their business. I mean, Jensen, he's been running NVIDIA for, you know, more than 20 years. And yeah. just like how much he's been thinking about it, whether it's in the shower, it's probably been just been all consuming him for two decades. And like we're investors looking at a business for the first time, there's going to be so much that we don't know, which is uh, pretty humbling as well. So like looking at NVIDIA, when uh, part of your process, you mentioned benign competition. So how do you think about something like AMD or, or an, another competitor? So I think there are some, there are some good competitors. NVIDIA is kind of out there um, in front of all of them. Um, you know, we study AMD. AMD started at a pretty low point, you know, five or 10 years ago, they were in the dumps. Um, but they brought in someone really smart to run the company and she's, she's brought it around. Um, and they don't necessarily directly compete in everything, but there is, you know, some com competition there. That's what we talk about the expanding TAM as well. It gives us some, some leeway, um, in that situation, right? So if a company, if a, if a total addressable markets expanding, then that means there's room for more than one winner. Um, so yeah, we got to keep an eye on the competition. It's fierce at times, um, but NVIDIA is so far out in front uh, that I think it, it looks good, especially as you consider how much data center usage there is. We know it's going to keep growing. We know AI is a growing field. Um, we know, you know, autonomous driving could be, you know, in a massive winner for them. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we look at it. Um, some companies like, like CrowdStrike, they have so much a better uh, product than pretty much anyone. Um, so we feel pretty comfortable there. Um, but again, that's an expanding TAM. So that's two ways to win. Um, as we mentioned in, in chips, competition is becoming more fierce. But yeah, like look around. Um, there's such a demand for chips, it can't be filled. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so CrowdStrike and NVIDIA, any, any other details you want to bring up about those two? No, just, just bringing it back to, um, you know, the, the concepts that we look for. So that, that expanding revenue, uh, that trajectory to profitability and expanding TAMs and, you know, quality management. And that's just a, an easy formula for investors to follow to find um, really special companies. For sure. So this criteria, was it sort of like iterated over time or, or how did you guys kind of um, come to those five? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you learn more every time you make an investment, especially if you have an investment that goes, um, goes negative, you learn more and more. Um, but we just look at, you know, the, the companies we've invested in that have done the best and they really all seem to, to carry those same characteristics and, 
you know, I know we talk about tech all the time, um, but we're not only tech oriented. It just happens to be where most of the growth is uh, today. Um, but yeah, that might change in 10 years and we might look at, be looking at another sector, but uh, no matter what sector you're looking in, those characteristics are always going to pop up in the best businesses. I think you go back in history, um, you know, and look at some of the best, like a Xerox or, um, you know, some of the biggest winners in, in the sixties or, or eighties or anything else, those characteristics are all going to be there. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Um, so are there any other companies you, you wanted to, to mention? Anything you guys been looking at? Oh, there's so many. Jeez. Um, <laughs> um, I didn't really prepare anything else, but yeah, I mean, we still like Roku. Um, you know, a number of the businesses that we mentioned last year and TDoc, um, they all kind of fit into that same, that same category. You know, I think a lot of these businesses really did well because of the pandemic. Um, they accelerated because of the pandemic. Zoom's another one. Um, but we like these businesses before that. And um, I think we want to be clear that these weren't just pandemic plays. Um, yeah, they made more money because of the pandemic. Um, but you know what? The fact that they did so uh, gives them even more of an advantage to grow going forward. It's better balance sheets. Um, you know, better, uh, you know, revenue versus expenses, better net income. Um, and we just think they're going to continue to grow uh, as they have in the past. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming on, Brian. Is there a place where um, if people are interested in reaching out to you, they can find you? Yeah, Ryan, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we can, uh, you can find us at leftbrainwm.com um, where you can learn about our advisory business and a number of other affiliated uh, investment businesses. We actually just launched a mutual fund. So there's, um, there's information on that there as well. And also uh, I would encourage people just to reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Brian Dress. Any questions you may have about investing, love to, uh, love to connect with anybody uh, that has those questions and answer them for them. Great. Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you so much for listening to the Investing City podcast. It really means the world to us. And before you go, we have a proposition. So please leave a review on iTunes. It just would help us out so much. And if you do so, just email us. I left a review and we'll give you a gift. That's right. We'll give you a gift if you leave a review. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you.